0: Hey everybody, this is Luna Tan.
1: And this is Dwayne Paris. You are listening to Clopotech Publishing Radio.
0: Here we talk about what's happening in the publishing industry today, share stories and insights from publishers, and discuss how we can shape the future of publishing. Welcome to the 25th episode of Clopotech Publishing Radio. I'm your host, Luna. And I'm Duane. This time we are very pleased to have Holger Ehrling as our guest on the show.
1: Olga Ehrling, born in Badersfeld, Germany, is a journalist and author. His work as a reporter has taken him around the world, including Africa, New Zealand, and South America. He also lived in London for several years. For many years, with his passion for travel, reading and writing, Olga has recorded what he saw heard, and felt along the way, and had them published in several books. In addition, Olga is an active organizer of specialist conferences and cultural events, and he is a frequent presenter and speaker at events such as the Frankfurt Book Fair.
0: Thank you so much for being with us, Helga. Pleasure. So first of all, could you please share with us a little bit more about yourself? Um, Tell us... You as a journalist, an author, and a very active event organizer. How, what you have been doing, made you the person you are?
2: Oh, these are questions which you normally would have to ask other people than uh, the the person you're questioning. Um, I think, well, I grew up in a a small town um, right at the old border between East and West Germany, on the western side. And uh, actually, there was a huge fence. And um, probably uh, being fenced in from one side uh, uh, made me uh, wish to explore uh, the rest of the world, which was unfenced, so, so to say. And um, so from early on, I had a keen interest in traveling and, and in uh, foreign cultures, uh, mostly in Africa. As, as a child, I watched all the Tarzan movies and things like that and found Africa mesmerizing. And, and uh, then i came to the united kingdom when i was 15 for the first time and uh came into london and then for the first time saw a really 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 big city and uh you know in the mid 70s uh there was punk going on and the different styles of clothing and the, the different styles of behavior and uh when i came back i a had a very strange accent which my teacher could hardly understand and b um, i had a very different perspective on what the world could be and what life could be like. So that made me strive to, to um, get around and, and get out and about and meet as many people in foreign countries as possible. And uh, being a journalist, um, that of course helps because you can combine your job with your passion and uh, book publishing came not much later. The first thing was published in 1988 or 89, uh on an African writer called Chinua Achebe from Nigeria. From then on, it continued, and in October, my 20th book was published.
0: Wonderful. I can see how you were brought up and uh, the places had a huge impact into your vision, into the future and the world. And can you just tell us very quickly, so what is the reason that you are so engaged and fascinated with event organizing and how this became part of your career and something you, uh, you, you have a passion about?
2: Well, it came uh, as a kind of learning by doing the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I joined the Frankfurt Book Fair in 1994 as um, head of communications. And yes, at this, at this time, the team at the Frankfurt Book Fair was really small. We had something like almost 10,000 real exhibitors, which we managed with 35 people and um, so everybody had to pull their own weight and and so i was roped in uh, the whole organizing process of events uh, taking place at the Frankfurt book fair and uh, i liked it and other people found that i'm sort of quite good at it and and so it continued and continued and continued and and uh be it um professional conferences be it um the literary or cultural events once you got the hang of how to get things together how to strategize and and allocate resources and allocate people to certain uh, jobs which come with organizing something then you can you can do it and uh, it's not a major part of my uh, daily life but i enjoy it uh, when it comes to when it comes to And when people ask me or when i come up with an idea and find people who take me up on that idea
1: Olga, so you mentioned um, your involvement with the Frankfurt Book Fair. You have been involved with that in several capacities. How has the Frankfurt Book Fair evolved over the years?
2: Well, it's become much smaller and much more focused on the business side of things. And of course, with the developments in the book industry or in the media industry as such, the... Shrinking of the Frankfurt Book Fair um, comes as no surprise. I mean, we've had a we've had quite a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions, uh, which resulted in ever bigger publishing conglomerates uh, with ever more imprints, uh, which of course are not represented with their own stands, all of them, uh-huh. at the Frankfurt Book Fair. Of course. Digital revolution in the publishing industry has taken its toll on physical events such as the Frankfurt Book Fair. It hasn't fared as bad as the Book Expo America, which uh, is now pushing up the daisies. Um, but um, of course, the, the manner uh, of conducting business has changed dramatically. In the nineties, when I started as head of press at the Frankfurt Book Fair, people were really looking forward to this huge event. They were still exchanging letters you know the thing paper uh, you put in an envelope and send and then you wait for two weeks before you get an answer nice. that was the kind of communications that they had in these days and and um, when you sent out manuscripts that was always a huge expense and took a long time uh, for your correspondent to actually um, receive the documents and uh, Peruse them and then and then send them back. So um, these physical meetings, uh, where you could really really speed up the whole process. Today, every, everything happens in a flash. And, and when you send out an email and you don't get a response within 10 minutes or 15 minutes, uh, you start to, to, to ask yourself, well, what's wrong on the other end? And mm-hmm. so the whole speed of the, the business transactions and the business negotiations has changed completely. And the necessity of physical meetings has diminished uh, dramatically. This has uh, received another kick. During the pandemic, when when everybody learned that video conferencing and and working from home is actually a quite convenient way of of, of conducting your business. So will the Frankfurt Book Fair come back to its glory days with something like 10,000 real exhibitors? I very much doubt it. Is it it a shame that uh, it won't won't return? Yes, because it was great fun um, having all those people around. On the other hand, this is just... What what our times are like, and uh, um, the Frankfurt Book Fair, which was held in October of 2022, had something like 4,000 exhibitors, many of them as uh, in in collective stands, had something like 170,000 visitors. So it felt like a real book fair after the pandemic, and uh, everybody was quite happy with how it went. It may grow, it may shrink. Whatever the future brings, we will still have a Frankfurt Book Fair.
0: It's really great that we could take this look from your perspective to just uh, have a look on uh, the involvement of Frankfurt Book Fair. And Holger, we learned that other than the Frankfurt Book Fair, you also had developed a series of public and specialist events over the decades, such as uh, the Frankfurt Publishers Talk, in the House, I believe that's the pronunciation in German.
2: Um, You're correct.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. The Wanderers' Neighbors in the Frankfurt Roman Fabrik, the Content World for the Management Forum, and a, a, a subsidiary of the henders Blood Media Group, and the Future of Publishing Conference and um, at the Leipzig Book Fair. So how have all of these events inspired you when you think about and look back on the publishing industry in general and what are some of the important messages you would like to share?
2: I mean, the four um, formats uh, you mentioned are really quite different. Uh, The the publisher's talks was a series of 25 public interviews, which I did to a live audience in the Little Tour House here in Frankfurt. And um, it was, very interesting to have small and big publishers sitting right next to me, asking, um, and I was able to ask them anything I wanted to know, um, mm-hmm. be it professional stuff, be it personal stuff. Some of the talks went into very, very personal territory, and uh, these people didn't seem to mind sharing. Um, rather intimate details of their lives with an audience of two hundred or two hundred and fifty people. Um, so that was um, quite enriching on, 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 on uh, from that side, personal experience. The Murderous neighbors was uh, a literary literary program. We uh, concentrated on crime novelists from uh, Austria, uh, from Switzerland, Austria, and the Netherlands, and that's where the Murderous neighbors comes uh, comes mm-hmm. from that was also quite popular, so a very different format, literary format, and um, the other conferences that was really uh, down to uh, a good friend of mine, Erd Heinold and, and I, thinking about what can the future of publishing be, what can the future of content creation be, and so we developed a format, pitched it, and um, yeah, went ahead in, in, in doing that. So for us, um it was it was also very much uh something uh, to feed our own curiosity to find out about what are these people thinking the people who are really at the forefront of developing new ways of presenting content of developing new instruments for for the publishers etc etc and so yeah it's both being able to manage something and then get an event into flow and and then bring it to fruition and feeding our own curiosity. So, and and I think when you can combine these two, when you don't only do a job because you're allocated to do a job, but um, if you derive um, some personal insight which helps you think uh, differently, that's very satisfying.
1: Holger you have and published several books about travel culture especially about portugal and england since 2019 you are the editor of pocket a series of countries at the federal agency for civic education would you tell us how pocket came about how you came up with the idea of uh, that publication and what are your plans for its future
2: well, the Pocket series was not really my idea, but many, many years ago, I studied English languages and literatures, and I specialized in African and Caribbean literatures. And in these days, there was a series of conferences on what then was called Commonwealth literature. And at one at these conferences, I always ran into a very nice young man who was about half a year younger than I am, um, he, who had an interest in Canada. And we had never anything to do with each other, but we were very friendly. As it happened, this uh, young man um, ended up becoming the head of of the publication program at the federal agency with a long name. He, in 2009, uh, licensed a book um, that I had written about England. And so we re-established contact. And in 2013 or 14, He approached me um, with the pocket idea. Pocket was an old series at the agency which uh, had fallen out of print and uh, they had done various uh, different uh, topics there. Um, The idea was to present short comprehensive information on whatever topics. And he revived the idea of of pocket and um, focusing on different countries. And I, uh, was asked to do the first book in the series about Great Britain, uh, followed up Portugal. Sadly, the, the program manager, not my friend in the, uh, in the agency, but the program manager in charge of these pockets died and, uh, they didn't know how to really proceed and develop the series and so I was asked to, um, help out. For a while as an editor of the series and this has become permanent now and uh, we are we have published four books uh five books so far and um five more are in the making and will be published from now until 2025. so um the idea of the pocket is really to present concise information about certain countries covering history politics the economy, uh, cultural um, aspects, and, of course, uh, everyday life. They all come at something like between 300 and 350 pages, uh, lots of registrations and tables and uh, side information and so on. And uh, the the general public is, is taking um, these pockets uh, very well, and, and uh, they're well-ordered, and uh, the orders are quite uh, satisfying.
1: Very good. Holger, you've always been a reporter, a a journalist, which you're traveling, and you've written all of these publications based on your experiences. Have you always been interested in in writing?
2: Yes, as it happens. Um, My first article in a mainstream newspaper was published when I was nine years old. Um, I had written a little story, my father had typed it up and uh, sent it to the newspaper, and a couple of weeks later it was printed, and I got a check for 15 Deutschmarks. And for a nine-year-old in 1970, 15 Deutschmarks was a fortune. Oh. So yeah. I thought, well, the journalism, that must be a very good job, and you'll get rich. <laughs> How wrong can you be? <laughs> it's a, it's it's a wonderful job and i've always kept on writing i edited the school journal and uh, wrote for the for the um, local daily newspaper then when i went up to university i already started travelling in africa and doing stories on what i saw and, and uh, then came into politics and uh, wrote about the politics in africa until 1994 and uh, Since then, my interest has really shifted to Latin America and the the Spanish and Portuguese-speaking countries um, in the world. But um, always, the United Kingdom will be uh, deeply buried in my heart, and Sir will continue following um, developments there. But my next projects will be focused on Portugal and Spain.
0: Wonderful. It's really great to know about the lovely stories, how you get involved into writing and being a journalist. And you just mentioned the span. Speaking of span, we learned that you uh, have just released a new book recently, History of Span, which came out in October 2022. Uh, could you tell us more about this country and the people there, how would you recommend this, this, this country uh, to someone who hasn't been there or just tell us something you feel so fascinated about this country?
2: There are various aspects which are fascinating. You know, Spain is the, when it comes to tourists, numbers mm-hmm. of tourists, the third largest destination behind the United States and France so um, many many people go there and then then spend the holidays but most of them only see the coast um, the coastal regions and uh, see the beach and, and, and the sea and they don't they hardly venture into the interior probably on a guided tour to the alhambra in granada or a day trip to Cordoba, or something or madrid or saragossa or something like that but spain what most of these tourists don't know is that spain has a very high altitude um it's got 38 mountains that are higher than 3000 meters um behind switzerland spain is uh the country in europe which has the highest average altitude and when you travel through spain you see uh, how these mountain ranges impact the way of life and uh, this has over Thousands of years separated the, the different regions and has contributed to the very different cultural trends and, and cultural expressions that you find in Spain. A, a, a person living in Seville, in Andalusia, will find himself in a completely different country when, when he or she goes uh, to the Basque country, to Bilbao or Santander or something like that really very different uh, ways of, of life, very different cultures, and, of course, very different languages. I mean, we all, when we talk about Spain, we all say, uh, we all say, uh, tend to say they speak Spanish. No, they don't. They speak Castile, uh, Castil, um, the, the Castilian uh, version of Spanish, uh, which is very different from what people speak in Andalusia, which is still Castilian Spanish, But you have Catalonia with Barcelona, which has a very different language, Catalan. You have the Basque country, which has the Basque language, which isn't related to any known language in the world. Uh, You have Galicia in the North northwest, which once again has a very different language. And actually Galician is very much related to Portuguese. And yes, they're all, well, with the exception of Basque, uh, are eggs in the same basket, but um, they are as different, say, than German is from Dutch. So, not really dialects of a language, but really different languages. And this comes with, with uh, cultural identity, which uh, uh, identities which um, the central governments, uh, since the 16th century at least, have been trying to suppress. And especially during the years of the dictatorship of um, General Franco, There were high penalties of using Catalan or Basque or Galician in formal communications or uh, even in everyday life. Even some sort of dances, uh, traditional dances or traditional festivals were forbidden because they asserted the cultural identity of these regions. And Spain has overcome the dictatorship of of, uh, Francisco Franco, who died in late 1975. But um, the teething problems of that transition uh, to democracy have evolved. Hardly hardly anybody knows that Spain has had many, many, many concentration camps, which were built uh, from about 1937 um, in partnership with uh, Nazi Germany, with the SS and Gestapo. And wow. uh, the last of these, no longer concentration, but, but uh, penal camps, was closed in the 1960s. You know, there are many things about Spain which are worth uh, knowing. Um, You know, there's a huge debate still raging about the the, uh, impact of uh, the Muslims had when they invaded uh, Spain in 711 and conquered it within three or four years and uh, hung on until 1492. And of course this forms an integral part of, of Spanish history, but many uh, books about Spanish history start in, 15, in 1492, sort of turning a blind eye to that part of Spanish history, which has been form- formative for uh, all of Europe. All the knowledge, or almost all the knowledge we have on, about um, Greek philosophy, Greek science, uh, mathematics, algebra, whatever, came to Europe, came back to Europe through Arabic channels and were translated into Latin and and Castilian Spanish, and from then on found their way into the rest of Europe. Spain is also a country which, uh, yes, it was a huge imperial power, but um, after uh, this imperial power crumbled, Spain has been very much on the periphery. You know, you have the Pyrenees in the north, which is uh, a huge border between Spain and the rest of Europe. And the Iberian Peninsula is enclosed by the sea and that huge mountain range. So um, over hundreds of years, the um, contacts between Spain and the rest of Europe were scarce. And um, after the after Spain, Spain's empire um, broke down, um, it didn't have much to offer to the rest of Europe in terms of uh, goods or industry or whatever. So yes, um, people need to know more about Spain because Spain is one of the most um, influential countries uh, in Europe and in the rest of the world with all these uh, ties that it still has, especially to Latin America.
1: Uh, Yes, it does sound like a very interesting uh, country with lots of rich history behind it.
2: Indeed it does. And Spain was one of the, areas in Europe um, that had the first pre-human settlements or remnants of humanoids uh, were found which are dated back to something like 1.4, 1.5 million years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, very often it, it happened this year in, in 2022 um, that uh, a farmer in Andalusia wanted to turn A huge field that he hadn't used for many years into an avocado um, uh, growing area and um, as it's required by law the archaeologists had to have a look and of course they don't these looks uh, are not carried out by digging but uh, you know you take aerial pictures and um, things like that and they found they found uh, a huge collection of stones uh, which are reminiscent of Carnac in, in, in Brittany and of Stonehenge in England. And it actually is about twice or three times the size of Stonehenge. And of course there won't be any avocados being planted there, but um, so, this, will be, this will be... And Basically every, every couple of months you have new findings in Spain which redefine our knowledge of the, of the very, very ancient history of Europe and the world.
1: Holger, is there anything else you would like to share that we haven't asked you today?
2: We could talk about my trying to give up smoking and being unsuccessful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're still trying, right? That's the main thing. Yes.
2: I'm still trying. I stop smoking about 20 times a day.
1: Okay. Um, you, <laughs> <laughs> you smoke now about 20 times a day?
2: I smoke about twenty cigarettes a day, yes. And after each cigarette I stop smoking. Oh okay.
0: <laughs> Just make sure the time you decided to quit is more always uh one one time more than uh yeah, than than the time you want to pick yeah. up one. Yeah.
2: Yes, that's what that's what my wife's telling me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It has been a great pleasure to have you, Hogan, on the on this conversation. I feel like I'm following you all and uh, uh, Dewey and I are just uh, taking a mini tour with you across the whole Europe. Um, we just take a, a quick travel to Portugal, England, uh, Spain, and of course, Germany. Mm-hmm. It's been fascinating. As we are getting close to the end of the interview, we have signature questions. So here we prepare three questions into which we would like to have uh, each guest's quick answers. So if you're ready, we're gonna bring on the first one. Go ahead. (laughs) And uh, the first one is just tell us your favorite way to get relaxed after a hectic day.
2: Sit down uh, or lie down and read.
0: With a cigarette or not?
2: Not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. So um do you still remember the last read, the last book you just finished reading?
2: Uh well I don't know whether I can recommend it, but uh I'm just reading one of these definitely plum novels by Janet Ivanovich. So uh don't take me for too much of an intellectual.
1: <laughs> and the second question, Hoke, is uh would you tell us two people in history that you would invite to dinner, if given a chance?
2: Uh, not, pe- not historic people, um, but they are actually three. I lost my mother when I was five years old, and I have hardly any mm. recollection. And uh, yes, I would love to invite her uh, for dinner. Mm-hmm. I lost a very close friend, Jeffrey Davis, a couple of years ago, and I would love to see him again. And uh, another good friend, Charlie Elmermacher, who also died a couple of years ago. I would give very much to see him again as well.
0: Mm-hmm. This is uh, yeah really great. I can imagine that must be a very loving dinner. And then the last question is, could you share one of your favorite phrases? I mean, so far we have been enjoying your uh, British accent so much, but just feel free if you yeah, want to share anything in English or maybe something <clears throat> in Portuguese, Spanish or German.
2: Uh, if we fairies have offended, think but this and all is mended that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear in this weak and idle theme, the story, not the dream. Um, if we have unearned luck to escape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long. Now, else the puck a liar call. Now, good night unto you all. Give her your hands if we be friends and Robin restore Torrenens.
0: Wow, it sounds so amazing. I feel like you could make a really good narrator to, a, to an audiobook.
2: Well, yes, uh, pass, pass it on to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that was the closing monolo- monologue in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night uh, Dream.
0: Wonderful. Do you have any follow-up questions, Duane?
1: No. Olga, um, I... Thank you for being with us on the podcast today and it has been a very uh, lively and interesting uh, conversation.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Dear listeners, this is Haga Eiling. For more information about him and his great works, please visit the website of Haga Ailing Media, that is E-H-L-I-N-G-M-E-D-I-A dot D-E. You can also find the link in the episode notes. Thank you again, Haga, for being with us. Pleasure. Subscribe to Clopatech Publishing Radio in whatever podcasting app you listen to, or get this podcast delivered to your inbox by subscribing to Clopatech's newsletter. It's free and easy to sign up. The link is in the episode notes.
1: Special thanks to Nello Corpatech, Marian Belling, Bjorn Burher, Angie Heinrichs, Stefan Kaufer, George Logan, and Mark Wendell for making this episode possible.
0: Leave us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, or email us at podcast at clopotech.com.
1: This is Clopotech Publishing Radio. I'm Dwayne Paris.
0: I'm Luna Tan.
1: Thank you for listening.